0: Welcome everyone to Andy Here's the 80s, the show where we try and find the absolute best albums of the 1980s. Here in season two, we have normally been digging into the work of a single artist or band each episode. But this time around, we're changing it up, taking a listen to seven different artists, seven different albums, all showcasing the many different styles of metal. Joining me as always on this rock odyssey is my co-host Aaron Keck. How are you, Aaron?
1: Pretty good. How are you?
0: Doing well. This is a bit of a throwback to season one, where each episode was a different genre. And, uh, you know, I had mentioned a few times that I was not interested in the uh, 80s aspect of hair metal. But as we are winding down our time in the 80s, I, of course, decided it wasn't fair to the other metal genres that they get <laughs> ignored too. So here we are. What are, I think uh, ignoring what
1: are... hair metal is ignoring hair metal is fine. Uh, these bands, several of these bands, do have some pretty extensive hair of their own. So I don't know where regular metal stops and hair metal begins exactly, but
0: <laughs> I think you know a lot of it has to do with the lyrical content and the stage presence and stuff like that. I think, but maybe. Uh, uh, you're you're right. There are certainly there's no lack of hair in general on these on these artists, but uh, I, and I think watching some like videos and stuff and looking up band photos, I'd say that there's maybe there's definitely one that is still uh, often spandex clad and perhaps uh, using some product in their hair, but I think huh. for the for the most part, everybody else is pretty uh, pretty dressed down and not uh, not too like uh, over the top with their ensembles. Possibly.
1: Or it might be just general prettiness. Like, I think if you're a metal band and your band members are pretty, then you're a hair metal band. And uh-huh. if you're a metal band and your, hair and your members are not pretty, then you're, then you're like regular metal and you <laughs> yeah. still got street cred.
0: I think that's fair. They're less, certainly less concerned with their appearance, at least, for a yeah. lot of these. Uh, but uh, so what, what are your experiences going uh, before this episode with, with any and all 80s
1: metal? I have heard of metal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, end of sentence.
1: And that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely a, a child of the 90s, so my experience mm-hmm. with metal is knowing 90s alternative music as a reaction to metal and knowing that metallica managed to stick around and increase its popularity into and through the nineties, but that that was kind of a weird anomaly thing. And all of the other great metal bands are really more focused heavily in the eighties the and hit their peaks of popularity in the eighties. And that's pretty much as far as I know. Yeah. I think that's or about knew or thought I knew or understood.
0: Right. Yeah. These are all names I had heard before, of course. And, you know, you know, we do have Metallica album in here. I, of course, heard all of Metallica was huge in the 90s as well and into the 2000s. But, yeah. Although we
1: got we've got seven we've got seven bands here and I had heard of six of them. I had not heard of the seventh one. So not not even all of these bands was I familiar with.
0: But, yeah, I was kind of in the same boat where, you know, 90s alternative was most of what I was listening to, uh, you know, as a kid. And so yeah. a lot of these. Were I mean, not, hence this uh,
1: podcast, right? Yeah, like, exactly. neither of us really knew that much about.
0: Yeah. So it was, it was, it's, but it's been fun. You know, there's, uh, it's been fun to hear some of these for the first time, hear some songs, uh, that I had heard before, but never the albums, uh, and really dig into something that I was not, I wouldn't have maybe listened to otherwise. So it's been fun.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, I have to say the other, the, my other familiarity with metal is the way that so many of us these days are familiar with 80s metal, and that's through watching This Is Spinal Tap from 1984. Yes. Um which Which I realized listening to these seven albums that I really like there is definitely a spinal tap vortex when it comes to metal bands, where like a band can be really good, but it starts to it starts to lean into that territory where it starts to become indistinguishable from spinal tap, and then I'm like, <laughs> I can't take you seriously anymore. <laughs>
0: Yeah, did you? uh, We mentioned Spinal Tap a few episodes ago. Did you end up uh, rewatching it between? I didn't
1: know I should have.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, or or
1: maybe not, because then I would have then like all of my reaction to all of this music would have been would have been colored by it, as opposed to just one album in particular that we'll get to.
0: Yeah, certainly. You know, Spinal Tap was certainly like a uh, you know a pastiche of a lot of different bands. There wasn't one target Mm -hmm. in particular, but there was like watching some videos of some of these. There was one band in this lineup that definitely stood out as maybe this is one of the chief influences on Spinal Tap's uh, uh,
1: I, I wonder, I wonder which one it's going to be because there was one album that I was listening to where I was like, oh, my God, this sounds like Spinal Tap. Actually, no, I don't think it's going to be the same album. I think I know what album you're talking about, and it's not the one that I'm thinking of, but we'll see. We'll see.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Uh, Well, before we dig into these albums, I wanted to uh, pay tribute to a legend of 80s metal that we lost recently. Uh, Eddie Van Halen, founding member uh, and lead guitarist of Van Halen, lost his battle to cancer on October 6th at the age of 65 this year. Uh, He was born January 26th, 1955 in Amsterdam, moved to California with his family in 1962, and started the band along with his brother Alex Van Halen 10 years later in 1972. Uh, I mentioned before that I have picked up a best of compilation of van halen's when i was in high school and that provided uh, really all i decided i needed in terms of their music but eddie's guitar playing uh, has always fascinated me since then and uh, it's important for me when i'm listening to guitar players you know for their voice and personality to come through in their playing and i think eddie van halen was definitely one of those uh, figures uh, guys like david yeah. gilmore of pink floyd is a big one for me jimmy hendrix obviously Uh, And I think Eddie Van Halen fits right in with those guys
1: Yeah, I think so too
0: Uh, I'm going to play what is easily my favorite Van Halen song And it's one that I've listened to perhaps Maybe even more than any other song that exists uh, Because at one point back in college uh, 2007 to be exact uh, The movie Superbad came out And I don't know if you remember the trailer uh, But it featured Panama, the Van Halen song in it And my friends and I all saw that And we're like, you know what? that's a good song. And so I I booted up my computer, uh, opened up iTunes and scrolled over to that Best Of compilation that I got and started playing Panama and just clicked the repeat button and then just walked away. And so for probably like a month straight, the computer was just playing Panama on repeat. If we were doing something else, maybe we'd turn it down a little bit, but then it would just get turned back up later. If the computer had to shut down, the first thing I'd do after I boot it back up is start Panama back up again. And then we'd go about our business, so
1: that is uh, an interesting musical choice
0: <laughs> you know it it it's we went through you know all the stages that you could go through when a song is playing constantly uh in your house and I think <laughs> by the end, I think most of our most of our friends have a soft spot for Banama now fortunately uh so naturally that was the first song I played when I heard that he passed away uh so I'll go ahead and play a little bit of it now. and enjoy Van Halen's Pan
1: It's funny that your memory of Panama involves playing the song on repeat because when I hear this song and when I think of this song, the one memory that I associate with it, there was an episode of the Drew Carey show where I don't even remember what the context was, but Drew and his friends were holed up in a house and. Uh, Mimi, Kathy Kinney's character, was trying to get them to leave and she was doing it by playing Panama over and over again <laughs> on repeat just all day and all night uh, That's as a sort of psychological warfare torture. Yeah. But when it's you, it's it's fun. So
0: I know, that would not have worked on me. We, were, we would I guess just it depends on
1: the kind of person you are. Yeah, I don't think it worked on Drew Carey either.
0: <laughs> That's funny. I haven't seen that episode, but I can't believe it's the same song.
1: I'll, okay, so what What for you is we're going to get into a, a whole bunch of metal bands, mm-hmm. quote unquote metal bands, because w- at least one of the ones that we're going to talk about, and I think we're going to talk about them early on, if not first, kind of disputed the the categorization as metal. They thought of themselves as just kind of a straight up rock and roll band. What is the line for you between rock and Metal. Like to me, metal is a is a subgenre of rock, but like mm-hmm. what constitutes a metal band as opposed to just a straight up rock band? Because I don't think of Van Halen as a metal band. I think of them as just a rock band, but they definitely have metal elements to it. But I don't I don't think of them as a metal band the same way I think of like Slayer as a metal band or Iron Maiden as a metal band.
0: Yeah, I think that they probably towed the line. Uh, in, you know, there's and similarly, like early or at the end of last season, we heard uh, Guns N' Roses too. I don't know that I'd classify them as a metal band necessarily, even though they are close. You know, they they could maybe float in the same in the same pools as some of these Pool, metal bands. Yeah, uh, but I think for me, the tempo is definitely important. It should be a pretty fast tempo, faster than maybe your average rock song. Um, though it doesn't always have to be Slayer Speed, I don't think. Um, and I think that there's an attitude to metal that rock doesn't necessarily have to have all the time. And and then, so I think also metal, you're right that Van Halen probably isn't a stereotypical metal, but I think it, part of it is probably Eddie Van Halen's guitar. I think a, a guitar solo is critical to metal. Yeah, A, a yeah. rock song doesn't have to have a, a guitar solo necessarily to be a rock song. And I think also certainly by the time the 80s come around metal is separating itself from kind of the blues based rock which some van halen was but some van halen was not either you know so i think there's a structural element to it too
1: it all comes from led zeppelin anyway so yeah
0: <laughs> well it sort of does i mean you know if we show this episode is kind of all about the variety of metal but it all uh, starts in the that late 60s early 70s era with bands like led zeppelin black sabbath, sabbath deep purple yep. Uh, those guys were kind of known as the first wave, so to speak, of heavy metal. You know, Zeppelin obviously bringing still that heavy blues influence that would start to fade away, but still cranking up the fuzz and the volume. Uh, Black Sabbath detuning the guitars, getting the drones and the drudges and the you know the fan, more fantasy imagery that Led Zeppelin also trafficked into. So, you know, you get a heavier sound than some of the classic rock of, the, of that era as well uh and but but you know by today's standards those bands kind of fit in with what we would consider classic rock right you know a lot right. of those old, the first wave of metal kind of is still still pretty rock and roll sounding they're just kind of branching off in little directions but yeah that heavy distortion thundering bass searing guitar solos those would all be instrumental in cre- creating uh you know the genre that's commonly known as the heavy metal sound uh some bands would take inspiration from them throughout the 70s and start to incorporate uh, that into their sound, including the first band we're going to talk about, which is Motorhead, formed in 1975 in London with Phil Filthy Animal Taylor on drums, Fast Eddie Clark on guitar, and Lemmy Kilmister on bass and vocals. And after uh, Lemmy was kicked out slash left his other band, Hawkwind, uh, he would join up with those two guys and start Motorhead. You know the term metal was kind of floating around in the '70s, but Motorhead would probably, like you're alluding to, distance themselves from that brand. This is the
1: band I was talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah, they just wanted to be considered a rock and roll band, which I think is fair. But I think they are sort of the they're sort of the tipping point between the '70s and '80s as hard rock transforms into metal occasionally. So I think I think they are sort of the forerunners of this 80s metal sound, even if they didn't want to consider themselves that. So, you know, they also incorporated with themselves, uh, they took that metal sound from the 60s and 70s and started to incorporate, you know, some of the punk rock that was happening in the late 70s too. So that you have the, there's a very hardcore punk drum sound and rhythm it, it, to this band that I think you don't always get, but that's that's part of what made them special too.
1: Right. And very, and... and... Kind of a yeah, I mean a, a punk rhythm, like you said. I think that's that's uh, that's not something that I thought of when I was listening to the the album so much, but it's definitely there.
0: Yeah, you know, you start to th- as the early seventies, you know, had maybe they were a little bit more like prog rock influence. Some of these guys, but then of course seventy seven rolls around, and the Ramones and Sex Pistols and everything come out. Now all of a sudden, you're like, oh, we can just jam away on these guitars as fast right, and as long as we right. want. <laughs> we don't have to be because this was be fancy.
1: This was the first time that I had actually sat down and listened to a Mortarhead album all the way through and listening to it, this is this is Ace of Spades, listening to it. The the artist that it reminded me of the most is a more recent artist, Andrew WK, who mm-hmm. also kind of blends that 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 skirts that line between metal and punk, which which somehow exists. Like right. that's the line and and they're on it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair comparison. But yeah, the the, this album, Ace of Spades, comes out uh, November eighth, nineteen eighty. It's their fourth album on the now defunct Bronze Records. I'll play a little bit of the title track, and then we will discuss the album.
2: That's the way I like it, baby. I don't
1: want to live forever. So you were talking about memories of Van Halen's Panama. I have a weird memory of Ace of Spades. It was the first time that I really paid attention to this song. Uh, At the very end of 2016, my friend and I went to a burlesque show that was themed on in memoriam, like people who had died in 2016, like all Mm -hmm. of the burlesque acts were based on those artists. Uh, which is a very weird way <laughs> to do a burlesque show, but you remember two thousand and sixteen was the year that like all of these celebrities died, yeah. and it was it was like a running thing throughout the entire year, so they were like all right well let 's let 's send the year out by paying tribute to all of these artists. Lemmy died in late December of two thousand and fifteen, so mm-hmm. not technically two thousand and sixteen, but they counted it anyway, and there was this there was this woman who did a a burlesque number, like dressed up as Lemmy, like full on mustache and everything nice. uh, and did a burlesque routine to Ace of Spades, which was absolutely spectacularly great. Like it was funny. It was fun. It was like it captured the vibe and everything. And I'm watching this performance, but I'm like, man, this is a really good song, too. Like I never mm-hmm. really heard this song before. And I loved it. And I love this entire album. Like Ace of Spades is the classic, but the whole album from start to finish is fantastic.
0: Yeah, this song absolutely rules. I think it kicks off the album perfectly. And yeah, the whole thing is just really fun. It's a really great, fun album.
1: Another fun thing that you can do that I did uh, earlier today, uh, I was re-listening to the song and I was like, oh, this is really good. I wonder what, I wonder if it's possible to do an acoustic version of it. And I got on YouTube and I looked it up and sure enough, A Motorhead did acoustic versions of Ace of Spades with Lemion oh, wow. Harmonica, which is <laughs> hilarious. But there's some other artists who just like did little YouTube videos of themselves just with an acoustic guitar playing and singing an acoustic version of Ace of Spades, which is fantastic. Like, this is one of those great songs that you can do it in a thousand different ways, and it all comes out sounding really good. And if you get a chance, like, go on YouTube and and look up just Acoustic Ace of Spades, because there are some really, really good renditions of it on YouTube, and it's just, it completely reimagines the song.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, this is one that, you know, I knew the song, and it had certainly been in... I think it's in one of the Tony Hawk games it's been in at least one of the Guitar Hero or Rock Band games Uh, so I've always liked the song but yeah this is uh, if you like the song then the album is going to be just as fun I think for anybody else who hasn't listened to it but there's also a uh, there's a classic album series documentary on uh, they have them on Amazon that uh, it has interviews with all the bandmates going track by track talking about the album which is really fun to listen to. And they talked uh, especially the their producer uh vic Mail for this album you know the motorhead you know these guys you see them on the cover they in the on the cover they're dressed you know kind of like cowboys but they're always like in they're always rough and tumble looking <laughs> looking guys who are ready to fight at the drop of a hat it seems like but their producer is kind of like you know a soft-spoken scrawny guy who they who would always just say just deliver lines to him like Okay, so that's that's the best take you got. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> <And they're, laughs> but they never—they always like were afraid to to like beat him up, so they just had to, to listen to what he said. So they're like, "He's the perfect producer for us." Nice. Yeah, I thought that they're, they they seemed like really funny guys uh, to to be around. I don't know if you could you know be around them for too long without something happening, but it right. it seemed like a fun band to be in.
1: So what do you think about the rest of the album? Like, I think the album is great, but there's a, there's a downside and an upside to it, which is that as I was listening to it and I gave it two listens, mm-hmm. all of the songs kind of started to run together for me. Like, there's a, there's a very similar sound in, in each of these songs yeah. to me. But then on the other hand, they all sound like Ace of Spades, and I love Ace <laughs> of Spades. So on a certain level, I'm kind of fine with it. Um, but do you have, like, favorites beyond Ace of Spades? I've got a couple
0: uh beyond ace of spades i like uh we are the road crew there that was a good one their homage to their uh to their roadies literally to their uh, roadies yeah i think um the hammer the last song is pretty good
1: yeah i got that one down yep uh,
0: but I, I mean ace of spades is number one with a bullet obviously oh yeah i think it is for the me is a little samey like you said you know they if you it can kind of sound similar. I have this a similar problem with uh, like ACDC. I think they, they yes. are certainly a good rock band, but a lot of their songs sound the same to me. Uh, and so I ran into that problem a little bit, but I think there is actually, I, I listened to it three or four times and I think there's enough. They mix it up just enough to where it doesn't sound mm. monotonous, I don't think.
1: My my favorite songs off of this album and just re-listening to it reinforced this opinion. My my favorite songs off of this album are the first three songs after Ace of Spades, Love Me Like a Reptile, and, and Shoot You in the Back. Mm-hmm. And like listening to the album a second time, I'm like, okay, these are the other two songs that I really like, but I'm still half convinced that it's because those are the first three songs <laughs> off the album. And by the time I get to song four, I'm just like, all right, I, I get it. Give me something new. But what I'm going to have to do is go back and listen to it one more time in reverse and see if I end up liking The Hammer more, Mm -hmm. if it's the first song on the album as opposed to the last. I didn't do that, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I I will say at least, you know, I can look at these titles and I can kind of hear the song in my head at the very least. Yes. So they are distinct enough where I can do that, which is not the case for every album we'll hear today.
1: I also appreciate the fact that all of these songs are short Because we're going to get (laughs) to some albums later Where that is not the case And I I appreciate a band that knows when to stop
0: Yeah, definitely
1: Like, I have made my point, I'm done Anything beyond this is just going to be a repetition Great, done, cut it, print it, move on to the next song I
2: like Mm -hmm.
0: it (laughs) Ultimately, Motorhead would release 22 studio albums in total uh, With several lineup changes over the years Sadly, none of the original members are still with us anymore. Phil Taylor died in November of 2015. Lemmy, as you said, died in December of 2015. Uh, And Eddie Clark died in January of 2018. Uh, But there is, just as you're hearing this, a 40th anniversary edition of the album was just released. Uh, It came out, it's coming out after we're recording this, so I haven't heard it yet. But uh, it looks like a pretty cool package, so you can check that out now.
1: The only other thing that I have to say about Motorhead and I apologize if this ruins Motorhead for anyone else but I need to get someone else in on this with me <laughs> is that every time I think of the band Motorhead what I'm actually thinking of is the Night Ranger song Sister Christian
0: <laughs> from the because Motor Motorhead in the club.
1: <laughs> What's your price for flight <laughs>
0: that's funny (laughs) I mean I do hate you for telling me that because now I'm going to think (laughs) that
1: oh I knew you wouldn't that's fine
0: (laughs) although speaking of things like that one thing that Lemmy uh, said in that I think it was in that uh, classic album talk was that they played Ace of Spades so many times that uh, for a full year he just started saying eight of spades just to see if anybody noticed I saw that yes (laughs) I thought that was hilarious nobody noticed maybe the band but none of the audience ever noticed
1: Although if I were like a huge Motorhead fan in the 80s, and then I heard that, and I was like, wait a minute, I saw them twice in 1986. What <laughs> <Yeah>. the
0: hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I want some of my money back. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, while Motorhead was perfecting their brand of hard rock, there was a scene of rising rock bands uh, also in and around London who were becoming known. As the new wave of British heavy metal, or Nwabum for short, which I did hear somebody say, so I was I was willing. Do they say, actually say Nwabum? I heard somebody nice. say Nwabum, so I, th- I thought <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, but these bands, I love still... a
1: genre that can simultaneously take itself way too seriously and not seriously at all.
0: Yeah, totally. Which is kind of a lot of these bands. In a nutshell, is taking themselves oh, super right? seriously, like... but just enough not seriously where it still works. Uh, but they're still fast and still heavy but a little less punk influenced and a little more maybe fantastical in their songwriting a little showier in their stage presence bands including Diamond Head, Def Leppard and the band we're going to talk about now, Iron Maiden Uh, bassist Steve Harris formed the band on Christmas Day in 1975 and featured a uh, real cavalcade of members as they worked out their sound in London's clubs eventually settling in with Dave Murray and Dennis Strath on guitars Clive Burr on drums, and Paul Diano on vocals. Uh, After their self-titled debut in 1980, Adrian Smith replaced Dennis Stratton. After their second album, 81's Killers, Bruce Dickinson replaced Paul Diano on vocals. And that's where we joined the band. The release of their 1982 album, The Number of the Beast, produced by Martin Birch and released by EMI Records. Take a listen to the title track, and then we'll talk about the album.
2: Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. I left alone. My mind was blank. Just what I saw in my old dreams Were the reflections of my woman staring back at me
1: Margaret Thatcher is a hell of a drug.
0: (laughs) I I think for me, this is the perfect example of it's so over the top that it somehow circles back around to being like not too serious. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they're clearly, they're clearly tongue in cheek with all of this, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. Uh, down to just the imagery, the mascot, the everything. Is this the Spinal Tap band that you were that you were the, mentioning earlier? Yes.
0: This is, this this, is the yeah, closest was also, analog.
1: Yeah. This is not the band that I thought sounded just constantly reminded me of Spinal Tap, but this definitely like is the band that has that like operatic, over-the-top, mm-hmm. theatrical, but also not too serious vibe.
0: Yeah, there, there's also a classic uh, album doc on Amazon for this one as well, and it shows some clips of their stage shows, which is what sold it for me because they, they're they the ones who are still uh, in spandex with their mascot, Eddie the Skeleton, making bigger and bigger appearances throughout their, <laughs> their tours. And so right. that's where I was like, okay, this is looking more and more Spinal Tap to me. But yeah, the songs uh, obviously are a little more. You know, they're certainly. Uh, you know, Stonehenge could be on this album probably, but I think uh, they're a little more, a uh, little a little more maybe intricate even than Spinal Tap songs, there, which are a little basic. But
1: one would hope, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, but this is
1: uh... and and also the the use of the use of like sampling and and just recorded clips from from other other mediums. Like I think one of my, my favorite, not my favorite song on this album, my, mm-hmm. my, my favorite moment in the album is the opening of the prisoner where they, yeah. they quote the TV show. uh, Like I thought it was a great way to start a metal song. I think it's yeah. fantastic.
0: Uh, yeah. I like that too. And the uh, number of the beast of course starts with a little uh, spoken word intro that they did try to get Vincent price for uh, but he was too expensive, so they hired a uh, British actor, Barry Clayton, who is just mm-hmm. basically doing a Vincent Price impression, I think.
1: And quite well, I might add. Like... Yeah.
0: And this was 82, so this was the year before Thriller. So
1: Yeah. This is where they got the idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Uh, but this is, uh, so like I mentioned, this is the first uh, album with Bruce Dickinson as the vocalist. I went and listened to a couple songs from the previous albums to see what uh, Paul Deano sounded like. And I think the biggest difference is the vocal range. I think Dickinson has a pretty good, uh, he's, he sounds like a great singer. I mean, he has a pretty wide range on all these songs, whereas totally uh, Deano uh, had a, a little bit of a smaller range, a little gravelier. And couldn't quite i mean the band even says that they didn't think he'd be able to pull off the songs that they were writing for this album
1: it's really interesting with with metal just as a genre that it it attracts some really great vocalists right Mm -hmm. like dickinson we'll get to we'll get to dio in a bit like several just and i mean I, I, we we kind of left uh van halen off of off of this week's collection <laughs> but david lee roth also a great vocalist like there's there's a lot of really good really good singers like quality talented operatic like can hold their own in any context in any musical form like really great singers in this in this genre
0: yeah, and I think that that probably is part of what sets metal apart too. Is if you kind of have to have a pretty good range, I think, to be a successful metal frontman, whether it's a wide range of, of octaves like Dickinson or Dio, or to be able to sustain a a heavy growl for an hour long show, mm-hmm. right? But I think vocals are important for that. But to, the other a good anecdote from this album was uh, producer Martin Birch. I don't know if you read this. He got into a, an accident while recording this album. Uh, he hit a bus full of nuns, and then when he took his car in to get repaired—nope,
1: I would have remembered that. Uh,
0: well, he he gets his car in to repaired after that, and the bill comes out to 666 pounds.
1: Of course. Yeah.
0: So it's like, of course, that's what it would—that's what would happen. <laughs> it doesn't get much more perfect than that, I don't think.
1: The body shop had to have done that on purpose, right? Like, I wonder. I, you know, it, our I, main producer thing... hits a bus full of nuns. There's only one dollar amount we can charge for this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder. It's it's it makes me a little suspicious considering it's the producer and not one of the band members themselves. But right, you know, I don't know. Could be. I wonder what that. What does that equate to nowadays? How expensive a bill is that? That's probably a pretty hefty bill. Still,
1: probably pretty high. But I, I think if it happened today, it would still be six hundred sixty six pounds because that's what <laughs> yeah. you have to charge. It's like, true. It's the producer for Iron Maiden who hit a bus full of nuns. There's only one dollar <laughs> amount here, exactly. a pound amount.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't charge any more or less. That's you're like I'm right. sorry. <laughs> it's got
1: to it's got to be exactly this.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Iron Maiden would release ultimately sixteen studio albums. I guess they could release more. They're still technically together. But uh, they we, we now hop across the pond to the States uh, to visit Auburn, New York, to check in with the band Manowar, who were pioneers of the genre power metal. Uh, this one goes out to my buddy Jay, who I shared a house with during college and endured the endless uh, Panama plays. Uh, so we've been friends since elementary school, and he wanted me to cover either Manowar or Bon Jovi on the show. Uh, so Manowar it is. <laughs>
1: Because screw you, Bon Jovi <laughs> uh,
0: Power metal is a uh, very anthemic you know, Often still fantasy-inspired But not necessarily uh, Performed in the States By bands like Camelot and Manowar And in Europe By bands like Halloween and Stradivarius uh, Manowar formed, as I said In Auburn, New York in 1980 uh, With bassist Joey, DeMa- Joey DeMaio And vocalist Eric Adams Joined at this point By Carl Kennedy on drums And Ross the Boss on guitars Uh, And let's see, Donnie Hazmick would replace Carl on drums, and then they would enter the studio in Miami, Florida to record their debut album Battle Hymns for Liberty Records. I'll play a little bit of the Almost title track, Battle Hymn, and then we will discuss that record. I think this one is the best example of that grandiose anthemic uh power metal sound on the album
1: yeah this is the band that i had never heard of before mm-hmm. uh nor had i heard of any of the other bands that you just mentioned stradivarius camelot what was the other one halloween <laughs> halloween yeah never yeah. heard of any of those bands <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. I probably wouldn't have heard of them if Jay hadn't turned them on to me. But I think there is definitely a sound that is familiar about them, as far as like that, th- you know, thundering anthemic kind of metal sound that I think uh, definitely a lot of the uh, European bands. I feel like I've heard that marching, you know, kind of very Viking themed. There's definitely a metal that is Nordic sounding that I think uh, this kind of right. fits into.
1: This is also the band that I was referencing earlier when I was listening to the album and it started to fall into that spinal tab vortex and I'm like and it was specifically Dark Avenger uh-huh. is the song when I was like, Okay, nope, this is this is too over the top, self-important, like I can I can see the tiny Stonehenge descending. This is not okay. <laughs> And this is after, like, I was listening to all of these albums in a row one day, and this was after I had made it all the way through Number of the Beast with this very self-important song about the Indian Wars and the slaughter <laughs> of Native Americans, which is also a little bit spinal tappy, although it's a great song. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten all the way through that, and I was totally fine. And then I got halfway through Battle Hymns, and was like, nope, nope, this is this is going down that... that coin shoot and uh there's no bringing it back out again
0: i think there is definitely a uh, an aspect of self-importance which is really funny that you picked up on because even in the liner notes for this one there's this is like a reissued version and the guy writing about it actually says that during like some of these early man of war tours they were so like Talking themselves up and claiming that they're the only real metal band on any of these tours, and were just so mm-hmm. like uh, self important to everyone that they played with that it actually probably hurt their career. They would probably be better known if they had just played nice with everybody, but they had to be yeah. uh, over the top like braggadocio to everybody, which I thought was really funny i't I think the di- there is definitely an aspect of that to music, but I think in general this album's still pretty fun i didn 't find it too overbearing with like the uh, beating you down with how metal they were, even though in the, second, in the second song, Metal Days, they're constantly talking about how heavy metal they are.
1: Mm. but I was With also that so- one exception, though, the rest of the album. Yeah,
0: the rest of the album, though. But uh, Dark Avenger, you mentioned, has the narration by Orson Welles on that one, which was interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, that that was what did it for me. And it's like <laughs> I had gotten all the way through fake Vincent Price as well, like totally fine with that. It's like Orson Welles. Oh no, no, I can't, I can't do this.
0: Well, and I don't think I think if you want to have a self-important monologue, there's nobody else but Orson. It's gotta Welles, be Orson Welles,
1: yeah. right? Yeah,
0: he's the one you have
1: to get. Because even Vincent Price is going to be tongue in cheek with it. Like, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's true. He he sets Or the... any
1: or any Vincent or any Vincent Price impersonator who's worth his salt. Like there's yeah. there's going to be a wink and a nod, but yeah, get Orson <laughs> Welles. He's going to be uh, he's going to be all in.
0: Uh, I did think it was interesting that a couple of these songs, you know, for a band called Man of War and they have a song called Man of War, they also, songs like Death Tone and Shell Shock are kind of like anti war songs. You know, they mm-hmm. talking about, you know, kind of born in the USA style, coming back, coming home shell shocked or coming home and getting treated like dirt after being a soldier for your country. It's kind of, that was kind of interesting to me.
1: Yeah. It is interesting too because a lot of these bands are quite left-wing right like
2: mm-hmm.
1: and talk about man of war uh we'll get to ministry later um a couple of these are just surprisingly so because i don't think of i don't think of metal as being a, a left wing genre necessarily but but a couple yeah. of these
0: yeah and i think that's true the, and there's uh yeah it's, that's kind of probably why partially i was surprised by it right i mean you think of metal stereotypically as like the meathead weight room music right like just pumping iron like i don't know that's the kind of stereotype you think of right whereas <laughs> nothing more <laughs> i mean but it's called meathead for a reason right about I
1: mean, that yeah, yeah yeah
0: but yeah so it was a little that was a little surprising and i enjoyed it but i, I think um I, I, what was your take on william's tale the the bass solo william tell overture song
1: uh probably my favorite song on the album yeah <laughs> which is also saying more about the rest of the album. I was not a fan of Man of War. I did like the I did like the take on that, but I was more I was more a fan of the fact that it was also the shortest song on the album. Uh-huh. Uh
0: I I think uh, probably the song Man of War ended up being my favorite on this. I think probably because it's a mm-hmm. it's a more upbeat kind of faster paced song which kind of fit in with more of the other ones I thought.
1: I think if I'm gonna say like which which removing William's tail like which of the which of the just like the full on songs I think Shell Shock is my favorite.
0: Yeah, that's a good one too. Uh, What's interesting was they actually re-recorded this entire album song for song in 2011, uh, which I listened to a couple songs of and is a fairly faithful recreation, but just with newer guitars and newer technology. It was kind of interesting. Uh, and then they had, since Orson Welles had passed away by this point, they had Christopher Lee do his spoken word part for Dark Avenger, which is kind
1: of cool. Good choice.
0: But yeah, I thought it was weird. I think if I was, I mean, it would have maybe been more interesting had they done a live album version of it or something, or uh, or tried different things with the songs. It sounded a little too similar to me. Like the the other one still exists. I don't think it's not doesn't sound necessarily different enough to to be different to me but
1: could have been better they could have gotten oh oh what's the guy's name who the voice actor who sounds like orson welles he does the brain
0: oh um shoot what is his name he's like uh frank walker i
1: can see it no it's it's not frank walker um Maurice LaMarche.
0: Yes, Maurice LaMarche. You're right.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah they could have, have gotten him to do the Orson <laughs> Welles voice. That would have been good.
0: He should have done every part on the 2011 version of <laughs> <laughs> of the Man War album. That I would buy.
1: They might have needed Frank Walker for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Those two. That would be a, that's a, okay. 2021 remake of the album. That, that's who we need to call.
1: <laughs> yep get on that man of war <laughs> well,
0: man of war did end up releasing 13 studio albums oving over, over their career including the two re-recordings they also recorded their album kings of metal their fifth album they re-recorded it in 2014 uh, but meanwhile elsewhere in new york a, uh, a man of metal royalty was starting up a new band capturing the classic heavy metal sound of the 70s we mentioned him earlier ronnie james dio born in july of 1942 in new hampshire Played in numerous bands throughout his career, most notably blues rock band Elf, and then with Deep Purple alum Richie Blackmore in the band Rainbow, later replacing Ozzy Osbourne as the front man of Black Sabbath for two studio albums and a live record, before starting a brand new band simply named Dio, joined by Vivian Campbell on guitar, Jimmy Bain on bass, and Keys and Vinnie Apice on drums, who was also in Sabbath uh, during Dio's tenure. And that group recorded their debut album, Holy Diver, for Warner Brothers in Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, California. Dio produced it himself, and it hit stores May of 83. I'll play the title track and then we'll talk about the album.
1: Something that I don't ever that I've never quite been able to get about not metal but like what attracts people to metal because there's this there's there's this subculture of like medievalism fantasy D and D like Tolkien I get all that like I get the I get the like the darkness of it uh, but what is it about that that subculture that attracts people to this particular kind of music with the operatic voice and like the, the crazy guitar riffs, like, because this is cause all of these bands like it's the same like you think about the you think about the music that really goes all in on the the fantasy medievalism world like they a lot of them have this kind of similar sound to it and it might just be led zeppelin's fault but like there's got to be something that there's got to be some affinity between this style of music and that like love of fantasy and, and medievalism, and I don't quite get what it is.
0: Yeah, I wonder. You know, maybe, I'm sure part of it is like, you know, there's a certain escapism aspect to it, right? Uh, but I don't know what that, how that, those lyrics often pair with the churning guitars and the heavy, you know, the screeching solos. What is it about those that
1: pair I don't together? know, right?
0: Hmm, I wonder. I want. yeah, I, I probably, it, I'm sure part of it is just going back to Zeppelin and Sabbath and that's what, that's just what they, those are the bands who first sung about fantasy. So it's the ones who will continue to sing about fantasy. Right. I don't know. I guess, because yeah. the, the only that's other, mystery to me. <laughs> I guess, uh, maybe, uh, you know, you look at somebody. Maybe that's why, like uh, Jethro Tull, got nominated as a metal band, right? Because they they have <laughs> they have fantastical lyrics, and so that's all the great. Possibly,
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: I always love the joke that the only thing metal about them was the metal that made up the flute. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's a good question. I don't know, and and I think it's you know interesting to hear Dio bring it. That kind of it is a more classic sound. Uh, you know him being. Um, Member of Black Sabbath for a time, playing with a member of Purple, uh, Deep Purple. Uh, it, you know, this one kind of harkens back to that older sound a little bit, which I thought was cool. And, you know, we talked, we mentioned him as a magnetic front man. I think he's a guy whose voice sounds enormous, even though he's a dude that's like five foot four, I'm pretty sure. Right. But what'd yeah, you think? Yeah, he's
1: of, definitely my favorite. Err, I, uh, no, I was going to say my favorite vocalist, second favorite vocalist because Lemmy, but, oh, sure. uh, but in terms of in terms of like doing the the thing that Dio does, like that operatic, like the incredible range, the octaves, like the soaring voice, like he he's great.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think of this album in general?
1: It was pretty good it was uh it's definitely among my favorites, not my not my actual favorite, but the one song that super stands out for me is not holy Diver but Rainbow in the dark. I love that song.
0: <laughs> I like that song, although i it took me a few times to get past that synth line. I think it's still a little corny for
1: for me oh, it's but... so corny, oh, it's <laughs> so corny, I love it
0: i I think it's just it's. That sound is nowhere else on the album. So I think it just, it's always like hits me in the face every time it comes out. I I don't know what it is.
1: Maybe. So I'm not, and I knew this going in, but now after I've listened to all of these albums, I know even more that I'm not a big fan of metal as a genre. So the (laughs) songs that are going to stand out the most to me, the ones that I'm going to gravitate to are the ones that are going to be the least metal sounding. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, which is why I love Days of Spades so much, like just as an album and as a band. Like they're they're definitely the least metal band of all the ones that we've covered for this week and the ones that we're going to cover in the in the rest of this episode. So I'm all about Motorhead, but mm-hmm. in terms of just finding individual songs on all of these other albums, like I'm gonna find the least metal ones. It's like that one, that <laughs> one right there, my William's fa- Tale, Rainbow in the Dark. <laughs> yeah,
0: my, my favorite on this one actually ended up being the one right before Rainbow in the Dark, Invisible. I liked that song mm-hmm. a lot. It starts off with that kind of a slower, uh, you know, intro and then builds up to a pretty good rock song. And I thought it was interesting the way that, I mean, he has a whole verse uh, talking about somebody questioning questioning their sexuality, which you would not have heard probably anywhere else. We talk about other, you know, sort of more liberal leanings of some of these bands. But I I mean, we have other examples in this series of <laughs> the opposite of that. So it was kind of right. cool to hear something like that from him.
1: Although Judas Priest, right? Like, well, there's...
0: yeah, I guess in this episode, I mean. But...
1: Not in this episode, right?
0: But yeah, so that one ended up being my favorite from the album with Holy Diver probably being second. But it is just another fun, I thought it was a fun rock and roll record. which, which uh, And the guitarist, uh, Vivian Campbell, has a lot of great solos on here. I think the band sounds, sounds great together. This mm-hmm. is like him, him, I think he really was just kind of putting it together over all these years, like... All right, let's make the best band of all the people I've played with,
1: and then name it after me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: they would release ten studio albums total in the Dio name uh, before Ronnie James Dio died of stomach cancer in May of 2010. Uh, so they had a, they had a good run there for him. But and we now take a trip to the West Coast, where bands across the LA area are ramping up the speed of metal, creating what would become known as thrash metal. Our next two albums are landmarks of that particular genre. We'll start off with Metallica. Uh, in 1981, drummer Lars Ulrich placed an ad in the LA newspaper The Recycler looking for bandmates interested in metal and met guitarist James Hetfield through that ad and later recruited guitarist Dave Mustaine through another ad. Bassist Ron McGovney joined them for some early sessions as well before being replaced by Cliff Burton. And in preparing their, to record their debut album in 83, Mustaine was kicked out of the band for being too deep in the bag too often and fighting the other members. And so guitarist Kirk Hammett replaced him the same day he got kicked out. And Of course, Mustaine would then go on to start a band of his own called Megadeth. Uh, so, you know, no love lost between them, except for a lot of love lost between them for many sure. years. But
1: they, they came back together eventually. Yeah.
0: Uh, they eventually. released their, yeah, eventually they, they released their debut album "Kill 'Em All" in 1983, "Ride the Lightning" in 1984, and then the album we're going to hear, "Master of Puppets," in 1986, recorded in Sweet Silence Studios in Copenhagen with producer Fleming Rasmussen. Here's the title track before we dig into the album.
1: So I listened to this album on Spotify,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and all of the, the the version of Master of Puppets that they've got on Spotify, all of the songs have been remastered, which just adds a whole nother fun layer of irony on all of this.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did they not do a play on that?
1: <laughs> Remaster of Puppets? Yeah.
0: That's definitely what it should have been called, because I also bought a remastered version on CD. Mm-hmm. It should 100% be remastered of Puppets. Of course. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is, maybe that, maybe that goes to show part of what I'm getting at, but I think uh, most of my time listening to this album was sitting around and wondering exactly what it is I don't like about Metallica. <laughs> Cause some Because eventually, you know, there's two things I kind of realized. One, uh, Orion is my favorite song on this one, so maybe James Hetfield is part of the problem, because that's an instrumental maybe. track. Maybe. Uh, And the other thing is I think these are the, this album and and Metallica in general are finally the band that takes themselves too seriously for me. I think that's part of it. I, I just don't think any of these songs are that fun. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Um, the 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 thing I have about this ba- so so just to like step back I am not a big metal fan but I can appreciate like a really good metal versus middling versus not very good and this album is just technically incredible like mm-hmm. all of these like every single member of the band is great like it all comes together like this is the this is the pinnacle of what the genre can do this is also what I really had in mind when I was talking earlier about how much I love Motorhead for being able to get into a song and get out of it (laughs) and knowing when to stop because master of puppets is a great song that makes its point two and a half minutes in, and then it goes on for another six minutes. And I don't think it builds from there. Does it like,
0: Uh, yeah, not as much. I mean, even like even battery before it, I think has more of a build and is three minutes shorter than master. of Right.
1: And Orion is kind of the same way. Like, I appreciate Orion. Like, it's technically great being an instrumental. I'm I'm fine with that. But, like, okay, I get it. And Like, it doesn't need to be as long as it is.
0: Yeah. Uh, Battery is the shortest song on the album, and it's five minutes, 12 seconds. There are three songs over eight minutes. I mean, this is an eight-song album that's, like, an hour long. So, yeah. Right. Th- and it felt long sometimes. <laughs> By sometimes, I mean pretty much every time. <laughs> it's
2: it's but yeah. interesting although i I, oh,
1: yeah. I will say like 90s metallica which is more my era like mm-hmm. i get into the the self-titled album from 91 like the the songs off of that i like a lot more than uh the songs off of master of puppets and i don't know if it's just that's the metallica that i'm familiar with that's the metallica that i was listening to when i started to like come into my own as right. a as a listener of music and that was, that's just what I'm more familiar with, but I still, I still like that music better than master of puppets. Maybe it's just more m- melodic. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And it's definitely more concise. I mean, I, I know that it True. seems like that album is regarded and It's obviously a breakthrough for them. I mean, they had success with master puppets and everything around that also. Uh, but the, that self-titled one in 91 or whatever year it was, it was definitely their mainstream breakthrough. Uh, and part of it is, uh, you know f- because of those songs were not 5 minutes long and had discernible choruses and th- stuff like that so <laughs> but I, it, it
1: also but that album also takes itself super seriously like mm-hmm. that album isn't fun either so right. So, which I, which comes back to your point, because I think you're right about that. Like this album, Master of Puppets, like this album is not fun in the way that like a Holy Diver is fun or a Number of the Beast is fun or an Ace of Spades is fun, but neither is the 91 Metallica album. So I don't know.
0: Right. Which is why I also just don't own that one either. Like, I mean, I was certainly aware of Metallica (laughs) in the nineties, but I still never bought any of their albums, you know? Yeah, I think it is just taking itself way too seriously, but even though they are all very talented musicians, I think there's certainly aspects of this that are very cool and that I think are well done. But yeah, ultimately this, this one was actually probably my least favorite of all seven of these just because Oh, interesting. it, felt, it just felt like a drag most of the time.
1: Yeah, it is. It is further down on my list, too. Like, I've got my list here and it's number five out of the seven that we're doing. It is technically brilliant. Um, I made a note about Disposable Heroes, which is the the song that just has the incredibly fast guitar in the midst of all of these other songs that also have incredibly fast guitar. Mm -hmm. Master of Puppets is another technically brilliant song. Yeah what what even is the what even is the progression it's like 13 8 or something like that i don't know um <laughs> yeah. like just it's a very very difficult song to follow when you're listening to it. it's like how are they doing this it's technically brilliant but i'm just not i'm just not enjoying it
0: right? yeah that is a that is another fun rock band song as well probably partially cuz it is so crazy oh, and complicated
1: oh god but... that would make me quit rock band <laughs>
0: there's one, there's one coming up soon that was in, I think guitar hero three that I think I actually did quit because it was too hard, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute, but, uh, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, let's see. So ultimately, you know, we know Metallica, they've released 10 studio albums, uh, up to this point in time, uh, Cliff Burton tragically would die after this record on tour in Sweden as their tour bus got in an accident. Uh, but the, uh, let's see jason newstead would take over on bass followed by robert uh trujillo in 2003 uh so yeah i think yeah like we said metallica they're obviously the most probably the most successful of this group today because they've sold millions and millions of records and have done it across three decades at this point but yeah i don't know Nothing and the experience.
1: one and the one that I was referring to earlier—that's like that managed to to survive through the '90s and just continue to increase their popularity, which which mm-hmm. the others I don't think did.
0: Yeah, no, certainly, because uh, you know if you look back, uh, Master of Puppets is probably you know a lot of people's favorite Metallica record, but it the other ones we're listening to from these bands are the definitive one you'd point to probably, right? Whereas yeah, you could have yeah. a conversation about different Metallica records as to what what's the peak, what's the best one. But
1: You could probably do it with Iron Maiden, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, but I think the probably... One, the
1: one cool thing about all of these bands is that they do really stay together for long periods of time. You'll have, you know, we'll break up, we'll get back together, but a lot of these bands are Either still together and playing today, or maybe maybe the 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 uh, the members of the band died, but they were together right up mm-hmm. until that point, or they just stopped touring uh a couple of years ago, like they lasted a long period of time, which is a little bit sad because I was looking up all of these bands on Wikipedia, and of course they 've got current photos of the band, so every single one of these Wikipedia pages I go to. Has these identical pictures of these like sixty five, seventy year old men in long hair uh-huh. and and metal gear, like playing on stage? It's like I appreciate this, but yeah, like,
0: they definitely all. I mean, you know, even it's a def-
1: definitely a different image today than they projected in nineteen eighty four. Totally,
0: but yeah, you know, every band, including Motorhead, right up till the end, was or all in the same gear they would have been wearing in 1982 oh, yeah. and just rocking just as hard. It seems like, so it yep, is impressive. Yep. Uh, but just outside of LA around this time in Huntington park, a band by the name of Slayer was gearing up to take a run at some of that thrash metal. We've heard so much about vocalist and bassist, Tom Mariah, drummer, Dave Lombardo and guitarists, Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman started jamming together in 1981. They self-financed and produced their debut album in 1983 second studio album in 85 and eventually attracted the attention of rick rubin who would produce and release their third album their first on def jam records rain in blood i'll play the almost title track raining blood and then we'll discuss that album is the one that i was referring to i think was in guitar hero 3 that is near impossible i don't think I've ever. oh it.
1: yeah yeah
0: and this album in general is just as fast as you can humanly play a guitar i think
1: absolutely
0: but uh, you know it's thrash metal like metallica was but i think this one even though it's completely over the top like dark and gritty is also just so fun still for me i don't know what I do you th- think
1: I felt kind of the same way about this one as I did about Master of Puppets, to be honest. They're they're both a little bit further down on my list. My part of my problem is I, I had the I had the fun experience of just condensing this whole debate down into five minutes, whereas in in real life it it played out over the course of months and years. But I listened to the album, and of course the first song is Angel of Death, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm listening to it and I was like, wait a minute, what the hell is he singing about? (laughs) Is this, is he a Nazi? I need to look this up. So I go and I look it up and sure enough, like, yes, there's this whole controversy about are they Nazis and Slayer's like, no, 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 we're just singing about it. We're just interested in fascism and fascinated by it. And we have all of this memorabilia and stuff, but I don't need to necessarily... Say that he's bad. Like, I think that just kind of goes without saying. But honestly, like, this is the, this is kind of where the, this is another one of those vortexes that the genre can occasionally fall into where you've got this obsession with like human misery and pain and cruelty. And like, you're obsessing about it and you're singing about it and you're constantly talking about it. And you're doing it apolitically, so you're not really ostensibly making any point. You're just, like, really going all in on human pain and misery and cruelty. And occasionally, as in Angel of Death, you're going to come off sounding like you're in favor of it. and that was my that was my response as soon as i got done it's like yeah i i actually can see how people thought you were a nazi because that's what i thought when i was listening <laughs> to this song and i get it kind of but like if you're going to if you're going to be a political which I appreciate, don't sing about Nazis <laughs> because it's going to come out sounding wrong. And if you're apolitical and you decide to sing about Nazis anyway, don't then turn around and be surprised when people are like, are you a fascist? Because you sound like a fascist here. Right. Also, yeah. you're wearing that, that, uh, that iron cross, and I don't think you really ought to be.
0: Yeah, I think there's certainly uh, a nuance that they are not <laughs> prepared to deal with uh, in, in talking about that. That's a good way like of putting it, yeah. Uh,
1: That's a good summation of the last minute and a half that I was
0: talking. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, it, it's certainly one that got controversy at the time and is warranted in its controversy. But I think, you know, as an album, as a whole, I think for me, and obviously I'm in a a privileged place where i can take it in as as much as i or as little as i want right that uh it it came off so over the top that it circled back around to just being ridiculous again yeah which i which i appreciated even i wouldn't fault anybody for not ever wanting to listen to it of course but i think it was something about the you know this is the th- you can work in these themes and obviously like i said they don't have necessarily the nuance to talk about it uh, maybe as smartly as they could but, and so maybe, you, maybe you shouldn't, but I think ultimately the guitar and, you know, the instrumental part of this was fun enough and also concise enough in a way that Metallica wasn't.
1: Correct. I mean, yeah. That,
0: that it, it ended up being a fun listen, uh, you know, in spite of maybe some of the things that are, that are questionable yeah. about it.
1: I did appreciate that. Also, the band is called Slayer. The album is called Rain and yeah. Blood. Like, how seriously should we be taking this in the first place? And the rest of the album was fine. It was just that one song that uh, initially... The problem is that was the first song on the album. It just, like, colored the entire rest of the listen to me. Totally. Um the pro- the problem that he has is that I, I get where he's coming from like I shouldn't have to I shouldn't have to stand here and explain that this is a bad guy right. like yes 100% I totally agree with that the problem and this is this is not a problem so much with Slayer is like the world around Slayer is that there are other bands who also sing about this who are totally 100% in favor of it yeah. and they sound a little bit like Slayer so mm-hmm. when you are doing this even if you you are being ironic you're also sounding like all of these other bands and like do something to distinguish yourself
0: yeah totally and i think we've seen plenty of evidence certainly in the in recent history that doing something ironically for too long can eventually make it not ironic anymore right yeah so yeah, certainly. Uh, wait, what
1: are you refer? No, wait, go back. What are you even referring to? Because we're doing this at the end of 2020. Like you could be referring to any one of a million things, <laughs> I but know. I feel like you've got something specific in mind.
0: Uh, I just, I mean, anybody who's been like activated by right wing online presence. Okay. You know, like meme the you know the right wing meme posting and stuff like that right right like you can wink at it for so long until eventually you're doing it like not winking anymore not ironically yeah Yeah. of which you know obviously you have to examine were you being ironic to begin with or not but anyway that's probably a different conversation although it's similar (laughs) obviously it's not quite a different conversation with this first song Mm. But the last song, Raining Blood, now there's nothing really to, to debate about that.
1: No, of course not, yeah.
0: <laughs> the lacerated sky, it just pours down blood. That's what happens.
1: There you go. Very, very straightforward. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, the uh, you know, we mentioned how short it is. The whole thing, the whole runtime of the album is 28 minutes long uh, to the point where the cassette release of the album had the album fully start to finish on both sides of the cassette. So you could just flip it over and start it over again, which, which oh, I enjoy. Oh, wow. This could be, i have to look, but this could be the shortest album of both seasons. I'm not
1: sure. Uh, the first Violent Femmes album was really short. Ooh, that,
0: yeah, that could be. I'll have to check. But ultimately, Slayer would release 12 studio albums over their over their run. Jeff Hanneman did die of liver failure in 2013 at the age of 49. Uh, The other thing that they reminded me of actually was Bad Brains, you know, for a band that plays fast and hard. That was kind of one of the sonic sound points that stood out to me.
1: Also, speaking of short albums, like every (laughs) single album that we did in that particular episode was like 20 minutes long too.
0: Like Motorhead, they obviously have like a hardcore punk, uh, you know, influence as well. Yeah. But just much later. Uh, The final subgenre we're going to hear now is industrial metal. This uh, style that started to appear in the mid to late 80s, where bands uh, like Motorhead and Slayer were punk inspired. These bands kind of made post-punk inspired metal, more drum and bass focused, but still heavy. Uh, The band we're going to hear is Ministry, founded by Al Jorgensen in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Al's the only consistent member of the band throughout its tenure, Uh, surrounded himself with dozens of collaborators, both official and unofficial members of the band over the years. Uh, Their first album, 1983's With Sympathy, was not even really a metal album at all, but kind of a synth-pop dance album. And then his second album, Twitch, in 86, started to lean more towards that aggressive sound. And by the third album, 1988's The Land of Rape and Honey, is where their sound finally starts to cohere into something unique. Uh, We'll join them now for their fourth album, The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste, released in November of 89 on Sire Records. We'll hear a little bit of the track Cannibal Song, and then we'll talk about that record.
1: So why did you choose Cannibal Song to play?
0: I think part, part of the reason I do like the song, I like the bass line that runs throughout it, and also it was, since it's the mind, a terrible thing to taste, that maybe Cannibal Song is the also closest thing oh, to a title track. okay. Since I did that yeah, for every fair. other one. But, uh, yeah, what do you think of this album?
1: I thought it was good. It's definitely a, a diversion from from many of the, the other songs, or many of the other albums that we...
2: Mm-hmm
1: focused on this uh this week and again i was i was kind of listening to them all at once we got to minister and it's like okay this is this is a totally new thing yeah uh using different instruments too like pulling out a pneumatic drill for thieves like i'm, yeah, I'm exactly. down with this i know that yeah. that
0: was one thing i noted too i mean they call it industrial and they're literally pulling out power tools they're to literally
1: industrial like. yeah yeah also, I have to say, uh, tenuous connection to, to ministry, but my favorite book of all time is Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, whose younger brother John is in ministry, but he didn't join until 1990, so oh, nice. <laughs> nothing to do with this album.
0: Oh, that's funny, though. It does have um, one of the uh, drummers and someone who assembled a lot of the samples on this album was Bill Rieflin, who also was... REM's unofficial official drummer for their last eight years uh, before Mm. he of course passed away earlier in March of this year but that was kind of when I that was one of the reasons I picked it because since he was the drummer for REM I thought that'd be a fun connection as well and it's funny because it's also a completely different sound not just from these albums but from REM too
1: I want to have been a fly on the wall in the in the meeting when they were coming up with the title of this album.
0: <laughs> I know, I kind of like it. <laughs> but it's funny they use a lot of samples too, which is something you know. Yes, it uh, was kind of emerging throughout the eighties, right? We talked about hip hop using samples, and this is now at the point where you don't have to recreate the samples; you can literally just put it in a machine just and sample them. it. Um, yep. They also have the rapper k light on the song test uh, which i thought was interesting if, it, if not necessarily my favorite song uh, and jorgensen's then girlfriend now wife angela Lucanson, uh did a spoken word section on dream song so they're doing a lot of experimenting on this album in general which i appreciated
1: yeah there's definitely a, a gap here there's there's seven albums that we did and three that I really just didn't like <laughs> uh which are Master of Puppets Random Blood and Battle Hymns and then the other four I'm like, "Okay, I can I can get behind this." Uh and Ministry is definitely not an album that I would ever see myself sitting down to listen to again from start to finish but i enjoyed it like i i appreciated it
0: yeah especially after the other six it was cool to hear yes something very different you know yeah this is a good one to end on because it is it, it's it, you know we mentioned a post-punk influence i think john Lydon's quote of calling it danceable noise i think this is a very danceable noise album
1: a lot of times yeah. Did we just go chronologically? Because this is '89. Ace of Spades is '80. Is that yeah. is that the way we want? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: which I think it makes sense too, because I think it gets more you know, throughout the decade, right? You get a little bit something, a little bit different each year, right? You can, you can mm-hmm. start to find different influences and see different things. You know, like the sampling on, on this wouldn't have happened in 1981. You know.
1: Although Iron Maiden did pull clips from the prisoners so. they did me yeah, i guess there's a precursor to it it just like wasn't as dominant
0: <laughs> yeah that's true i guess they probably i wonder what they did i think they. i wonder if they got something from the tv studio that they could play in or what because i think they did actually have to call to get clearance for that clip because it was part of the oh they did yeah yet. they
1: called they called Patrick McGoon, who apparently, like as the lead actor, was the person in charge of of giving the go ahead, <laughs> which would never happen today. Like it'd have to go ahead, or you'd have to go all the way up to the the head of the studio. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the story. They they sent someone to him and it was like, well, this band wants to wants to use this clip, and and McGoon was apparently like, oh, a rock band wants to use a clip from The Prisoner? Do it, go for it. I don't nice. care. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, because like you said, it's a great moment. I'm a honey badger.
1: I don't give. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Ministry released 40, 14 studio albums to this point, inspired industrial acts of the 90s, like Nine Inch Nails, Rammstein. Uh, and that's our brief overview of 80s metal. It's certainly an exciting time for the genre. I'm glad we heard them uh, before we say goodbye to the decade. And even though these are all different audience, or different artists, I feel still feel like we need to count down our top five songs and favorite album of the episode because it just just wouldn't feel right otherwise. So why don't you go ahead, uh, Aaron, what are your top five 80s metal songs?
1: All right, top five. Number five uh, is Thieves off of uh, The Mind is a Terrible Thing Ministry. Uh, number four is shoot you in the back from mm-hmm. ace of spades number three is love me like a reptile from ace of spades
2: nice. love me like a reptile love me like, like a reptile i gotta sing my band
1: Number two is, and then, and then my obvious top two, mm-hmm. uh, without any question whatsoever. Number two is "Rainbow in the Dark" uh, off of Holy Diver. And then number one is Ace of Spades. It nice. doesn't get better than that. <laughs> you know,
0: what, what, I think my favorite part of uh, Shoot Me in the Back uh, on Ace of Spades is the very beginning when Lemmy yes. just says, Western movies. <laughs> 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 I like to think that uh, somebody off mic just said, Hey, Lemmy, what, what made you write this song? <laughs> Western, Western movies. movies. <laughs> That's my favorite all right, well, my top five songs. Uh, at number five, I go with "Raining Blood" from Slayer. Mm. Uh, at number four, I go "Invisible" uh, from Dio. Uh, number three, I have uh, Number of the Beast from Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is Hallowed Be Thy Name from Iron Maiden, the last song on the I, album.
1: I That was one. my favorite song off of that album too, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a really good one.
1: Neither of us went for, un- unless unless your number one is about to be Run for the Hills, which I know it's not, uh, neither of us went for Run for the Hills, which is interesting.
0: Run for the Hills is very good. It, would, it was top 10 for sure. Another good okay. rock band song also. Uh, but my number one uh, is Ace of Spades, the song. Yeah. It's just, you can't beat it. Is this
1: the first time we agree?
0: I th- might might be on a number it one. It might
1: be, yeah.
0: I'll have, to, I'll have to roll back the tape, but yeah, but it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what? So I, I think I already know, but what was your number one album from the episode?
1: Uh that would be Ace of Spades, Ken.
0: <laughs> uh, Ace of Spades was my number two with a bullet, but I had to go actually Number of the Beast for number my of the number beast, one. Yeah, I thought it's Number just of too the fun. Beast.
1: Is, number of the Beast is my number two. It's it's definitely those two. Yeah,
0: those two are, are both very good. I think for yeah. me, Number of the Beast has all of the elements of metal that you would want you know it has crazy guitar solos it has theatric lyrics it has great vocalists uh whereas ace of spades i love every song but they it is just a little too similar where i was like okay it's my second favorite
2: yeah
1: i'm fine with that
0: Mm -hmm. well next time on the show we've got a very special christmas episode about a very special christmas album that's that's the name of the album a very special christmas Uh, We're going to go track by track on the 1987 Christmas compilation. Uh, That episode will be out on Christmas Eve, so don't miss it. And then after that, we will be doing uh, a recap. We'll go through our favorite songs of the 80s. So right after that, stay tuned because it's going to be fun. Uh, Until then, thank you to Motorhead, to Maiden, to Manowar, Dio, Metallica, Slayer, Ministry, everybody involved with all those albums we heard today. Thank you out there, everyone, for listening. And Aaron, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And don't forget, it's never too late to discover great music that's new to you. we'll see you next time. On the blog post for this episode, as further tribute to Eddie Van Halen, I'm breaking down each track on that Best of Both Worlds compilation. All of them, even the Hagar ones. Uh, check it out at acton.wordpress.com. Let me know what your favorite Van Halen tracks are and how you paid tribute to Eddie. Follow us on Twitter at andyhearsit, facebook.com slash andyhearsit. Email me at andyhears at gmail.com. Rate and review the show. Tell your friends. And tell me your favorite 80s tunes, which 80s albums I still need to hear, and what your favorite metal albums from the 80s are. Thanks again, and see you next time.